All right, good evening, Salt Company. Uh, happy to be gathering with you in a, a different way tonight. Uh, obviously, we would love to be, yeah, seeing all of you guys in this space tonight, but we see the priority and the importance of us gathering as, and sitting under the teaching of God's Word. So whether that be in this space or whether that be in your house with your roommates, uh, we see that as an importance that we want to live out. And so tonight, we are actually wrapping up our Conversations with Jesus series. Uh, last week, we saw Tony walk through the story of the Good Samaritan. And this week, we're actually going to see that story play out in Jesus' interactions with a woman. And so before I get started on this story, I actually just want to ask you guys a quick question. Think of a moment, or maybe, yeah, think back to a time where you felt completely alone. I want you to think to a time where maybe you felt embarrassed by something that you did, or you just felt isolated from other people because of something in your life. Like, think back to that moment. For some of you, it might be a very recent thing looking back on the summer where you were literally isolated and quarantined, but you also felt the weight and the guilt and the shame uh, while you were in isolation, heavy on your own heart. And guys, I, I, I want to ask you, what is that moment for you? As you reflect back, what is that moment for you? And so tonight, we're actually going to be walking through a story where we see Jesus encountering a woman who's in that exact space. We see him encountering a woman who feels isolated, who's at her low who feels completely alone in her life. So we just want to jump right in that story. If you have a Bible, if you have a phone, open up to John 4, and we're going to be walking through this story together. So John chapter 4, starting in verse 1. It says, Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and picked close attention here where it says, and he had to pass through Samaria. Okay, so if we think back to last week, we, we heard how the Jewish people did not get along with the Samaritans at all. Like they were the most polar opposite group of people. The Jewish people would actually look at the Samaritans and call them half-breeds because they were once Jewish people, people of God, who intermarried with people who weren't of God, and the Jewish people now see them as the lowest of the low. Like, this is as bad as you can get to be called a Samaritan. And so because that's the case, Jewish people would actually avoid even walking through the town of Samaria. They saw it as unclean. They saw the people as broken, and if they walked through that town, they would be unclean themselves. And so, we actually have a picture of the normal route that uh, Jewish people would take going from Jerusalem all the way to Galilee. As instead of walking the short route of going through Samaria, they would actually cross over the Jordan River, add a ton of extra miles, hike up, and then cross over the Jordan River again, all with an effort to just avoid the town of Samaria because they didn't want to pass through those unclean people. At all costs, they were trying to get away from Samaritans. But Jesus says he had to go through Samaria. Why? And the text continues to talk about Jesus' journey. And it says that Jesus was wearied from his journey. Like, guys, I, I love that imagery that we get of God. Because I don't know about you, 
I think when I think of God, a lot of times I can just see him as this perfect being who didn't have struggles that we did. But here we see that God got tired. That Jesus, in all of his humility, actually chose to put on human flesh and to become someone who would get tired. And so Jesus, wearied from his journey, ends up walking up this hill to a well at noon, which was the hottest part of the day. And this is the well that normally people, the women in the town of Samaria would actually walk to in the cool of the morning. This is the well that they would walk to in a gathering, that they would get their water supply that they needed, and that they would actually see it as a social time. All the girls would go together. It would be a time to catch up on life, to chat, and also to get the water that they needed. But they did it in the cool of the morning because the scorching heat of the sun would make it an exhausting experience to go later in the day. And while sitting down at this well, Jesus, you can just picture him maybe taking some deep breaths as he's exhausted, maybe wiping some sweat from his face. While he's sitting there at the hottest part of the day, up to the well approaches this woman from the town of Samaria with two large water jars that are connected to a post that she's holding on her shoulder, carrying it to the well to get the water that she needs. Now, there's two things we want to make note of here. Two quick things. One, this isn't just a Samaritan. This is a woman of Samaria. And why that's significant is because Jewish rabbis, get this, guys, Jewish rabbis wouldn't even talk to women in public. Like, Jewish rabbis wouldn't even talk to their wife in public, which I can't imagine how conversations at home went for them, but it's we need to know that they would never strike up a conversation with a woman in public. So that is significant. Second, we have to ask the question, if all of the women came in the morning, why is this woman approaching at the hottest part of the day? Why is she found at the well in this moment when everyone else comes in the morning? When everyone else comes when it's more of an enjoyable time with other people? And as we look at this story, everything that we see playing out, the discrepancy of the people, like Jesus being this Jewish man looking at a woman of Samaria, the last thing that this woman would ever believe was that Jesus was going to strike up a conversation. Honestly, she's probably walking to this well, assuming that Jesus isn't even going to notice her, that she's going to get her water, and then she's going to go back without even a word coming to her because their differences that they have should only bring division amongst them. And guys, we see this in our culture. Like people who have differences, strong differences, it only brings tension and division. We saw it in the presidential debates. Like people with strong differences and opinions, it created tension in that conversation. But in this moment, we see the most polar opposite. We see Jesus coming to this woman, and he's stepping across racial boundaries. He's stepping across socioeconomic boundaries. He's stepping across his status that he has to approach this woman. And Jesus does next the most unlikely thing in the mind of this woman. He opens up his mouth to talk to her. Jesus starts the conversation simply by saying, give me a drink. And so you can just picture this, this woman is immediately just shocked. 
Like, the last thing she was expecting was to have a conversation with this man. And he approaches her with this conversation, and immediately she responds with defensiveness and an attitude. Like, seriously, who are, who are you, a Jewish man, to talk to me? Don't, don't you even know, like, who I am? How, how desperate for you are, are you for a drink that you would strike up a conversation with me? Like, this is the attitude and the angst that this woman has as Jesus approaches her in conversation. And then Jesus responds to her and says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is asking you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And so immediately she's confused because Jesus is saying, hey, I can give you water. But she's like, Jesus, you don't have any water jars. You don't have any way to go to the bottom of this well unless you're diving in. Like you, you don't have any way to get this water that you're speaking of. How in the world are you going to do that? You can sense like the sarcasm. She's like, are you greater than our father Jacob? The Jacob who, who God called to be in the family of God, who created this well. Are you greater than him? As she just startled by this conversation, immediately this attitude comes about. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. And that line she gets. Like she's like, okay, I... I understand. I come to this well every single day. I get water. I drink it. I use it for what I need. And I come back because it runs out. So everyone who comes to this well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And as she hears this, she's still kind of in this sarcastic tone, but she's curious as this man says i have water that will make you never thirsty again and her response is sir give me this water so that i will never be thirsty again or that i will never have to come back to this well again and immediately you have to ask like why is it such an issue for her to come to this well why is it such a relief that jesus would provide her something that would mean that she would never have to come back to this well Seems like an easy trip for her to come to this thing. Why would it be the best thing in the world for her to never have to come back to this well? And so Jesus is actually going to do the most loving thing possible with his next words. And I think it's important for us to focus in on this because a lot of times when we look at divisiveness in our culture, when we see the division, the disunity, a lot of times we see the opposite of that being unity and love. But if we look at our culture, the idea of love is a little bit different. The idea of love is a tolerance that you have for other people that they can live the way that they want because that's what they choose is best for them. And I can't touch that. But Jesus is going to show us a love that is dramatically different from that. To her question of how do you get this water that you speak of that makes us all will never be thirsty again Jesus says this statement, go call your husband and come here. The woman said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one that you are with now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Okay, so Jesus is coming on pretty strong here. Like he's pressing into the most intimate part of her life, calling out her story right before her. And he strikes up this conversation and says, and you can imagine in this moment, this woman's heart stops. 
Like, this dude was the guy that was just bothering her. Like, she's coming, hey, I just want to get some water and I want to dip. Like, but he's basically pressing in to her life with these different questions, and she's annoyed. But this moment, he leans into the most intimate part of her life. And so he asks if she has a husband, and she gives this quick and short response, like, no, I don't have a husband. She, she shares the surface of that question without going into the depth of the situation in her life. And so she says, I have no husband, tries to shut down the conversation. We can end it there. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He presses a little bit further into that subject. So he says, okay, technically, that's a true statement. You don't have a husband right now, but you have had five husbands. And the one that you are sleeping with right now is not your husband. And so this man who is just kind of asking her these interesting questions or is now unraveling before her some of the most intimate parts of her life that in the public eye she's trying to hide at all costs. She wants to present a good image of herself, but Jesus is bringing her brokenness, her junk, to the light in this moment. And so he just begins to run through her story more and more. He goes into more detail of the different hurt that she's had. He goes into more detail of the different relationships that she's pursued. Different things that she's been running after to find satisfaction. And what he points out to her in this moment is that it's not just water that you've been coming back to to quench your thirst. It's been relationship after relationship after relationship that you've been trying to quench your heart. He wants her to realize that she has been searching for satisfaction all along. Like in her mind, okay, this first guy that she married, okay, he is going to be the missing piece to my life. He's going to satisfy the deepest longings of my soul. And then he didn't measure up to what she thought. Okay, this next guy, he's going to be the solution to my problem. He's going to be that missing puzzle piece. He's going to solve all my life's problems, but yet he falls short as well, and he leaves her broken. And time after time, she is constantly looking to the next thing, hoping that it will satisfy her. In reality, it leaves her completely broken, completely longing for more. And what she's experiencing is that the very thing that she thought would bring her intimacy and relationship and belonging, those relationships that she was pursuing after to feel complete, actually only brought her shame, only brought her isolation. And we see that her brokenness of her past, the choices that she's made, is the very reason that she's coming to this well at noon. When no one else does, because it's when she can avoid being around other people. She doesn't have to walk to the well and see the eyes of shame looking down on her from other people. She doesn't have to hear the whispers of other people talking lies, talking about her. She just has to deal with her own shame, but she doesn't have to deal with other people. Jesus is unfolding before her eyes that her pursuits have left her longing for something more. Imagine yourself in that moment. Like, imagine that you're on this stage that I'm on, and we've got a room full of people, people that you know, people that you don't know. And whether you can see it or not, I'm not sure. We've got two TVs here, 
And imagine you are alone on this stage, and on these TVs is a scrolling list of every thought that you've ever had. On these screens is every word, whether in your mind or that you've spoken, that you've ever said about somebody else. On these screens is scrolling every internet search that you've ever typed in. And as you're standing up here, you're thinking five, 15, 25 minutes of just standing here. As people are looking at this list of brokenness from your past and present, how would you feel in that moment? Like maybe what's racing through your mind right now is you're thinking of what's the one thing in your life that you don't want anyone else to know about. That is popping up on the screen that everyone can see. Or maybe it's that one thing that you want to share the surface of that issue, but you don't want to go into the depths of the situation. You don't want to share how far it goes. You don't want to share the complete story of that. And as you look at this list, you're seeing thing after thing that you have pursued after with your whole heart, hoping that it would satisfy your soul. You're seeing maybe a relationship that you thought would satisfy the deepest longings of your heart that didn't measure up. You're seeing maybe a school that you wanted to get into or an internship or a career that you wanted to run after that didn't answer the problem. And so you're seeing all of these things that you have put your heart and soul into that didn't measure up the way that you wanted. And maybe you're seeing the thing that you're pursuing after right now. What is the thing in your life that you're feeling, man, only if I had this will my life be full of joy. Only if I had this one thing would my heart be satisfied. Like all of those things are up on this screen. What would be on display for others to see about your heart? And I think we have to ask, why does this scenario shake us so much? Like, no one's jumping up to volunteer like, hey, I'll go first. Put me on as the first person to go up there and for everyone to see all of my junk. No one's jumping up to do that. Why does that shake us so much? Because we believe that in order to be satisfied, we have to be valued and loved. And in order to be valued and loved, we actually have to have a presentable version of ourselves to the world. We have to tuck away our brokenness to where we're isolated. But when we're in relationship with other people, we have to be presentable in order for them to love us. Because our greatest fear, if we're honest with ourselves, our greatest fear is if someone knew this part about my life and they chose not to love me anymore because of it. Like, what if they knew this about me? What if they saw all the things on that screen scrolling over and over? What if they saw that and said, I don't want to be friends with that person. I don't want to be in a relationship with that person. I see their brokenness. I don't want to love them anymore. What would Jesus be leaning into your life and revealing in this moment? If he were to come to you right now, what would he be talking about? What part of your story, what part of your heart would he be unraveling before you? Guys, this is exactly what is happening to this woman at the well. Her story is completely on display by a complete stranger. 
mind you. Like that would be a crazy scenario for a stranger to come up to you and just lay out everything that you've done that has led you to this moment of coming to the well at the, at the hottest part of the day when no one else comes. And so she is stunned. She's like, okay, this dude must be a prophet from God. Like, there's no way this dude is not sent by God because he knows everything about me. And so then she kind of steers the conversation to a, a theological debate of the time where she says, where are we to worship? Because, okay, my people say that we're supposed to go on this mountaintop to worship God. Your people say we're supposed to go to the temple in Jerusalem. Jesus, what do you think? And you have to assume, okay, she's like, this guy has some credibility he knew a lot about me. He must be a prophet. Let me ask him one of these questions where there is like an honest sense of curiosity. Like she wants to know more about this man, but she's probably also trying to steer the conversation elsewhere. She's like, okay, that's enough talking about me. Let's talk about something else. Um, but even as she talks about these two places, the mountaintop or the temple in Jerusalem, both of these places are areas that she feels like that she can't even approach because of her brokenness. She feels so incredibly unclean that she can't even go to Jerusalem. She can't even go to the mountaintop. She can't even approach God because who would that God be that would want to be in a relationship with someone like her? And so Jesus responds with saying, it will no longer be a particular place that you will go to worship, but true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. And if you guys remember, a couple weeks ago we talked about Nicodemus. And Jesus said that actually you are going to get the spirit of God inside of you to where you are able to worship God. And he's saying you're able to worship him wherever you're at because the spirit of God is in you. And so it's no longer going to be bound to a building or to a mountaintop. You can worship God where you are because God is going to be worshiped in spirit and in truth. It's no longer tied to the specific place that you're thinking about. And you can imagine as those two places maybe are rough subjects for her to think about, tough things for her to think about going to the mountaintop, going to Jerusalem, this sense of relief in her heart. Like, I don't have to go to those places where I've been filled with shame and doubt, where all I felt is just unclean and unable to approach God. Like, I can go and worship God wherever I am. And you can almost sense like a, this sounds too good to be true. And that, that's like the posture that she comes back with. And so to wrap up the conversation, she's just like, okay, when the Messiah comes, he'll sort all this out. Like, you have to see, like, how confused this woman must be. That This sounds too good to be true, okay? This dude came up to her, didn't think he was going to talk to her. She thought she was just getting some water and then leaving. He starts a conversation with her. She's a little weirded out by this. He gets into the most intimate parts of her life, and then he says, hey, you don't have to go to the temple in Jerusalem or the mountaintop. You can actually worship God wherever you are. She's like, okay, that's enough for one conversation. Like, I, I kind of want to get on with my day. I, I've been weirded out enough by you. And so she's trying to, like, wrap up this conversation, like, okay, we're done here. Let me just get back to Samaria. And so that's the attitude that she has at this point in the story. She's just ready to close up this conversation. But I want to read to you guys how this story actually ends. And I want you to see the attitude that this woman has at the end of the story. So in verse 28 of chapter 4, so it says, So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town, and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. 
Okay, first thing to note, she left her water jar. Like she bolted out of there so fast that she left the very purpose that she came to this well for. Like she dropped that and sprinted back, shouting into the city that this man had told her everything that she ever did. Guys, think about the contrast of this woman at the beginning of the story and at the end. Like she was, felt so incredibly isolated. She wanted to avoid all people at all costs that she would come at the most dangerous, hot time of the day to come to the well so that she didn't have to be around other people. And now she's going back into that town, drawing the attention of others and shouting that this man knew everything about her story, her broken story that she didn't want anyone else to know about. She's shouting that this dude knew everything about her. A woman who was so isolated by her story of brokenness, who felt so incredibly alone in her life, is now yelling to the whole town of the joy that she has because a man knew everything about her brokenness. She is not trying to isolate herself anymore. Like we can see that from her posture, but we have to ask what happened from the end of that story to where she's at now, to where she would have this attitude, but then leave in joy and shouting because of what this man did. What changed so dramatically in this conversation? Let's look back at verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So Jesus tells this woman that he is the Christ, that he is the Messiah that she has long waited for. That she has felt so much brokenness in her story, but she was waiting for this Messiah to come to try to maybe do something about it. And so he is saying, I am the Messiah before you. And she realizes in this moment that though she felt her brokenness was so massive, so great that she couldn't even approach God, God approached her this day. That though she was broken and not worthy to converse with, with anyone in the city, anyone in the town, no one would strike up a conversation. God would approach her to start that conversation that day. That though this man knew everything about her, It wasn't reason for him to step away from her, but actually to lean in and to pursue her. In this moment, we see the reason why Jesus had to go through Samaria. Like why he had to take that route that no one else would take is because this man had to have a conversation with this broken woman. He had to go through Samaria for her. And to you who are listening, God wants to have that same conversation with you. Maybe you feel a lot like this woman in this story where you feel like, man, your story, the brokenness that you've had in your past makes it so that you are too far gone to ever approach God, to ever be in relationship with someone so great as that. Maybe as you thought through the list of things that would be running on the screen, both from your past and things that you're struggling with today, as you thought about that list, it proved that there's no way that someone like you could be in relationship with God. And maybe you're like her where you're just exhausted. You just feel shame from 
things happening in your life over and over and over and where you want to get rid of it in your life, but actually it just keeps coming up and you feel more and more shame and guilt over and over again. Maybe you resonate a lot with this woman who's at this well this day. The craziest part of the story is that us connecting our story with this woman at the well, which seems like the worst thing in the eyes of the world, is actually the best thing for us. Because we end up seeing that this perfect holy God that we've been trying to impress with our life actually came for broken people like her. Actually came for broken people like you and me. He, he wanted to pursue after us. And it's not our brokenness that disqualified us, but actually to qualify us for Jesus to have that conversation with us. And he didn't just inconvenience himself by taking some extra steps off the path to go through Samaria to have this conversation. He inconvenienced himself by going from heaven to earth for our sake, for you. And he didn't just take the extra steps needed to walk up this hill, to go to a well, to have this conversation with a woman. Jesus took the extra steps to walk up the hill to Calvary, carrying a cross on his back to where he would be crucified on a cross for your sake. To where Jesus would drink the cup of God's wrath. Where he would experience the wrath of God for all the brokenness in your life all of the poor choices that you've made, all of the things that were running on that screen that you were imagining, I don't want anyone else to know about. Jesus bore the penalty for those things. And as he drank the cup of God's wrath, now he offers you the cup of living water. Jesus wants you to experience for the first time in your life true satisfaction for your soul. And we realize as we've been pursuing after broken thing, after broken thing, we realize that only in Jesus will we truly experience satisfaction for our souls. And this is the reason that it's no longer a terrifying reality that this man knows everything about her. Because she encountered the only man who is actually able to deal with her weakness for her. And this is what Jesus wants to offer you. Wherever you're at, you are not too far gone. Your story is not too messed up. Even though you've pursued after broken things to satisfy your soul that weren't Jesus himself, and though you are pursuing after those things right now, you are not too far gone. Jesus bore the entire penalty for your sin on the cross, and he, he wants to draw you into relationship with, you, with him All you have to do is ask. I love how he just says, all you have to do is to ask to give me a drink and I will give you living water. Then you can be like this woman, though though she was fully known, though he knew everything about her, though her story was unraveled before him, she was at the same time fully loved by God something that she felt could never end up doing, and to be freed up from living in shame because she realized that this man across from her was actually going to bear her shame for her. And that's the good news for you. 
that you don't have to carry this shame in your life anymore. You don't have to feel the weight of this brokenness anymore. You can give it to Jesus because he already took it for you, that you can turn to him and he will bring you in to an eternal life that is truly satisfying for your souls. Guys, this is the freedom that Christ wants to invite you in tonight. If only you would accept that invitation and come to him. Let's pray. Father, we, we see ourselves so much as the woman in the story. I, I feel in my own heart, God, just the brokenness that I see in my life, the things that I've constantly run after, even though they've proven time and time again that they aren't going to satisfy my soul. God, I convince myself that they are going to do just that. And Jesus, I, I thank you that you saw us running after broken things of this world. You saw us rebelling from you and actually turning to other things to find satisfaction. And you didn't just step away. You didn't just disassociate yourself from us, but you actually came to this earth and pursued after us. You went up to Calvary and you, you went on the cross to bear the punishment for our brokenness. And so now we get to turn to you with the joyful reality that, God, we are fully known by you, but even when you fully knew us, you still chose to come after us. So God, wherever someone is at tonight, I pray that they would realize that they are not too far gone. That just like the woman in this story, all they have to do is to turn to you and they can experience true satisfaction and freedom in their souls. Amen.